There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10th and Grand Spike We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Homicide Sergeant Bill Cannon, 27-year veteran, retired out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And with me today is retired NYPD detective and straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. How about you? This is a, this is a tough case, boy. It's uh, It's horrific, and I think it's exacerbated by... You know, we do stories all across the country and we see um, police departments of all different levels, all different talent levels, all different experience levels. And for that matter, you know, public relations people, media people, mayors, and it, every aspect of a major event has to be handled correctly. And in my opinion, this incident, uh, a horrific incident on this campus on a Sunday, a Saturday going into a Sunday, there's not a press conference till Wednesday. I I think that that's they're negligent in their duties. They need to get the information out there, not only for the purpose of helping the public help them solve this case, but for the purpose of trying to put the public and the students at ease because they're sure as hell not at ease right now based on what was put out there. I'm actually pretty shocked, Billy, that this thing took place on uh, Saturday night to Sunday morning. They apparently found the victims at around noontime Sunday. And the first we were hearing about it, it broke early today on the national news. I'm sure it was local news, but yeah, it does seem a little strange, a little odd. They didn't have any type of a press conference and um, things seem a little bit, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't know if it's confused is the word or just uh, the, the information seems to be trickling and I get it. Uh, they want to keep the integrity and investigation, you know, close knit, everything close to the vest. That's fine. But uh, the information that they are putting out, it sounds like the mayor had some contradicting details about what went on. So uh, again, uh, they need to get out there in front of this, get the public aware of what's going on. Do we have, I mean, there's a statement by the sheriff today or, or the uh, I'm sorry, he's the chief of, um, uh, the Moscow police that we cannot say there is no threat to the community. That's a very scary statement. No, but you know, let me read what the New York times said on Sunday and I'll put the picture of these uh, four beautiful students, 20 and 21 years old, all of them Four university of Idaho students killed in a crime of passion. I don't know where they got that. That's a, that's a horrible thing to put out there too. Uh, the authorities were still piecing together what had transpired at a home near the University of Idaho campus. Four students at the University of Idaho were found dead near campus in what a local official described on Monday as a crime of passion. Art Betke, the mayor of Moscow, Idaho, said in an interview that the authorities were still investigating what had transpired, but that the case was being treated as a homicide. He said the authorities did not believe that there was a perceivable danger to the broader public but he decided to say how the victims had been killed. He declined to say how the victims had been killed or whether a suspect was at large. That you also can't say. How could you say the public's not at risk? 
They don't have a perp. They don't have a clue who the perp is. Of course they're at risk. But, you know, something I think that was that smells of a political statement. With a crime of this magnitude, it's very difficult to work through, Mr. Betke said, adding that the police needed time to piece together what had transpired. The overall assessment is that it's a crime of passion. The, the authorities said they responded to a call about an unconscious individual on Sunday and discovered four dead people, three women and one man, at a house near the University of Idaho campus. On Monday, they identified the victims as Ethan Chapin, 20 years old, of Conway, Washington, Madison Mogan, 21, of Cor de Aline, Idaho, Zaina Canodal, 20, of Avondale, Arizona, and Kaylee Goncalves, 21, of Rathdrum, Idaho. Kathy Marbot, the Loito County coroner, said that all four deaths were being considered homicides and it was not a case of murder-suicide. Ms. Mabbitt said her office planned to conduct autopsies on Wednesday. She said she could not share any information about how the victims had been killed without authorization to do so by the police. So, again, they weren't coming out with information on how the deaths were caused. So a lot of speculation went out there as, is it possible that this was a murder-suicide? And they... They put it out there. No, it was not. They wanted to clear that up. No, it was not a murder-suicide because people, you know, they can think that. Oh, this was a murder-suicide. No, it was not. And you got to put that out there also for the families of these students. I mean, how horrific. 20 and 21-year-olds, they're murdered by knife. And, you know, they were saying an edged instrument, a cutting instrument. All right, let, let, let people know now. I mean, it's no secret. We know what happened. Four people are murdered. Now, you, it's your job to get the information out. It's also your job to use the press and get the press to help you to get information, to help your tips line so that you can solve this case. And Wednesday night at 6.30, when this murder happened on Sunday, is a long time to wait to have a press conference. Couldn't agree with you more, Billy. Um, you know, uh, there's also another factor that I just read just before we went on the air that there were two other students home in that house during the time of the murder. So, again, uh, we believe that Ethan and, uh, and Oksana were boyfriend and girlfriend. Perhaps they were in the same room. And then you had the other two, Kaylee and Madison. Um, I saw Kaylee's sister on the news earlier saying how these kids uh, took the right precautions. They went out by Uber. They went to uh, have dinner. They, they stopped at a local bar. They took an Uber back. She said these kids were very safety conscious. They followed all the rules. And then again, you have this horrible situation, this horrible outcome. Uh, it's just really heartbreaking. And for me specifically, Bill, you, as you know, I have three daughters in college right now. And it's just... Uh, just, I can't even imagine what these families must be going through and the, the horrific crime scene. I mean, uh, the news cameras that were outside the location earlier today, there was actually blood from outside of the location that must, there must've been so much blood that it was seeping out of the building to the foundation. So again, uh, uh, sounds like a horrific crime scene. I don't know how there could be other people home in that house. And not have heard. No, I, I don't know if that's accurate. I don't really. I know there was four people in the house. All four were murdered. I Because the bodies were discovered by a friend at noon the next day who went to the house. So I don't know if that's accurate. Let me play some of the um, of the press conference, which just took place at 630. For attending this press conference, joining me today 
is the Latah County Prosecutor Bill Thompson, University of Idaho President Scott Green, Provost and Vice President Tori Lawrence, University of Idaho Dean of Students Blaine Eccles, Latah County Sheriff Richie Skiles, Chief Deputy of Latah County Tim Best, Idaho State Police Colonel Kedrick Wills. The Moscow Police Department would like to extend our condolences to all family members, friends, the University of Idaho, and the Moscow community. This was a horrible crime that took the lives of Ethan Chapman, Zanna Kernodal, Madison Mogan, and Clay Kaylee Goncalves. This horrible crime has affected all of us, the families, the University of Idaho, our community, our country, and our officers. Agencies that are involved in this task force include Latah County Sheriff's Office, the Idaho State Police, and the Federal Bureau of Investigations. As we continue our investigation, we have learned that Ethan and Zana were at a party on campus and Madison and Kaylee were at a downtown bar. They arrived home sometime after 1.45. If anyone in our community or across our nation has any information about these times or the victim's whereabouts, please call our tip line at 208-883-7180. The facts of the case that we know right now. We know that these homicides occurred in the early morning hours of Sunday, November 13th. Around noon, Moscow officers received a call of an unconscious person. Officers discovered the bodies of Ethan Chapman, Zana Kernodal, Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Goncalves inside the residence on King Road. The four were stabbed with a knife, but no weapon has been located at this time. There was no sign of forced entry into the residence. Investigators are continuing to collect evidence at the scene. Investigators are working to develop a timeline to relevant events. Autopsies are taking place today on all the victims so we can continue to gather evidence and solve the crime. Investigators are working to follow up on all leads and to identify a person of interest. Based on details of the scene, we believe this was an isolated, targeted attack on our victims. We do not have a suspect at this time, and that individual is still out there. We cannot say that there's no threat to the community. And as we have stated, please stay vigilant, report any suspicious activity, and be aware of your surroundings at all times. What we do know, or what we don't know, excuse me, the identity and location of the suspect, the location of the knife or any clothing that was worn by the suspect. Currently, we have 25 plus investigators working this case, as well as assistance from the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Idaho State Police. We're reviewing video that has been collected, but we are asking citizens to contact us with any information you may have that will help in this investigation. Once again, we're asking anyone with a tip to call the tip line at 208-883-7180.
<clears throat> At this time, I would like to introduce the University of Idaho President, Scott Green. You know, folks, I just want to make a, uh, make a few observations. I think by putting it out there that this was a, a, a focused attack, uh, it was a crime of passion, I think they really um, threw off the investigation and threw, up, threw off whatever help they would get from the public. And instead of putting the public at ease, I think it worked in reverse. It, I think it made the student body, students apparently are fleeing that campus in droves, you know, uh, going home a week early for Thanksgiving because they're terrified. And that's not what you want. You want to try to put the local people, the students at ease. But it almost seemed like they had a perp identified by saying, oh, this was targeted, blah, 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 you're not in any danger. That leads me to believe if I'm not in any danger, you know who the perp is or you have the perp or the perp's dead. But none of those things are true. Billy, till the perp is in custody and he's at large, he obviously slaughtered four people and he's still a danger to the community no matter what. That might be why he's covering himself with that statement. But again, it does. I have to agree. It does sound like they know who they're looking for. That's the way it seems to me. But uh, I guess we're just going to have to wait to see what this investigation. No, reveals. but Phil, after this press conference, it's clear that they don't have a clue who the perp or perpetrators is. They have no clue. Let me put the uh, college uh, president on. Thank you, Chief Fry. Uh, I'm Scott Green, president of the University of Idaho, and, and with me is Tori Lawrence. He's our provost, and uh, Blaine Eccles, our dean of students, uh, will be available for questions after uh, all, all of the statements are made. Uh, the crime, to us, this crime and the loss of these young lives is just simply beyond comprehension. While our, smart, our small community is certainly not immune to such things, it's not a situation our close-knit campus is used to dealing with. First, my deepest condolences to the families. And friends of Ethan, Kaylee, Zena, and Mattis. <clears throat> Excuse me. Their loss has been devastating and they were bright lights in our community and are deeply missed and remain in our thoughts and our prayers. We've been working with Moscow police since we were notified on Sunday of the crime. We've helped with, um, we've helped when asked and continually pushed for information whenever possible knowing that we cannot interfere with the important work and good investigations that are, that are occurring. We just want justice for these victims. Our focus at the university is to support our students and our, and our employees. We are encouraging students and employees to take care of themselves as we head into Thanksgiving break. I want to take a moment to commend our faculty and staff who have been on the front lines helping our students whether that is providing counseling to those in need of support, accommodating those who want to travel home, or engaging those who find comfort in staying busy interacting with their peers and our instructors in class. Our employees stepped up when our students needed them. While we have relied heavily on the expertise of Moscow police, we feel confident that 
Remaining open with flexibility to leave allows our students to decide what is best for them. The weeks ahead will continue to challenge us as this loss and the circumstances around this crime become known. We will support each other as we grieve and we'll move through this together as a Vandal family. Thank you. I would like to have uh, Colonel Kedrick Wills come to the podium, please. Good afternoon. You know, folks, when the, the head of the Moscow police uh, said that they have 25 investigators working on this, that's not a lot for a, a horrific in, in, you know, and I, the only thing I know, of course, is the NYPD. We would immediately have 100 detectives on this case. A minute a quadruple one. homicide, Bill, of course. Right. I mean, and so 25 investigators is not a lot. And not to put down this police department or their but they're not experienced homicide investigators. So I'm glad the FBI is on board. I'm glad the state police is on board. They can use all the help they can get with this case. Uh, it's not an easy one. And um, let, let's hear what the, uh, the head of the state police has to say. My name is Kedrick Wills. I serve as the director of the Idaho State Police. And uh, as we have this discussion today, I'd like to express my appreciation for your attendance here because it's important, vitally important, that we get the information that we have out to the public. Crime knows no boundaries. And these murders have shaken us to our very core. You heard the university president as well as the chief of police talk about this small community and it's a very close, tight-knit community. And our hearts break for the families that lost their loved ones, the University of Idaho, the Moscow community, and even within our entire state. Be assured, the Idaho State Police is firmly in support of the work that the Moscow Police Department is doing, and we are providing every resource that we can to make sure that this comes to us to a conclusion and that with the person or people that this is responsible are brought to justice. It's so important that you understand that this takes a team effort. This is teamwork with the university, with this Moscow City Police Department, the Latak County Sheriff's Office, the Idaho State Police and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. It takes everybody to be able to do this. And it's a balancing act. It's a balancing act of getting the community the information that they need to have with making sure that we provide a case that the Latah County Prosecutor's Office can go forward with. Governor Little, Idaho's governor, has assured me that the full weight of all the resources we have within our state are available to Chief Fry and to his team. Our crime lab is also involved with processing evidence and our law enforcement throughout the region, state and federal agencies continue to provide resources. From the Idaho State Police's perspective, we provided detectives here from this area, as well as detectives from out of the area, state police detectives, as well as patrol resources and uh, communication uh, assistance as well to provide for Chief Fry and his team. Following this, uh, this, this briefing, our communications uh, director from the Idaho State Police, Aaron Snell, if you'd raise your hand, Aaron, he will be the contact for all press uh, media inquiries from here on out. Uh, with um, He'll be working closely with Chief Fry and his team. And we have additional, uh, like I said, additional patrol and investigation resources brought to bear here as well. We want to do everything we can to make sure that this is done correctly and that the people that are responsible for this are brought to justice. 
So at this time, um, I'm going to open it up to some questions um, that I'm sure you have, and we'll do the best we can to uh, answer those for you. Hello, Chief Ray. Hello. Thank you for having us. Um, this is Amanda. I'm Amanda Rowley with Crem2 News. Uh, you mentioned that there's uh, an indication that it's an isolated, targeted incident, and there is an individual somewhere. Can you give us a reason as to why there's that belief there is a suspect? And can you also uh, give a little more information on the force entry? There's no sign of force entry, but was the door, did it seem like any of the entries were left unlocked by any means? I'll add to the last part there, just because it's at the front end of my uh, mind. We're not 100% sure if the door was unlocked, but there was no damage to anything and the door was still open um, when we got there. And, and my first question, if, yeah. you don't, if you'd like me to read. No, I, I think I, I think I haven't. Um, you know, in these cases, we take the totality of the things that we see, and they're, and they're very dynamic, right? And they're very big, and there's a lot of information. And we try to take that information, and some of it we can't share with you, correct? Um, but we try to take that information. We try to make the best educated decision we can. We uh, review that as a team with our um, detectives, along with our prosecutors, along with the university, and we try to make that best um, decision on that. So we, um, at, at that time, believe that, um, you know, there was no uh, a threat. And our, our goal is to provide safety for this community. We are, that's why we're bringing in the resources we're bringing. We want a close to this. And we want to do everything we can to um, let the people in our community know that we care. We want um, them to feel safe. We want them to be safe. And uh, we're going to do everything we can to do that. And if I could add one more question. Um, you asked for videos to or anything from the community to help put together that timeline. Uh, we obtained a copy of Twitch video and family members of the Gonsalves family were able to identify uh, Maddie and Kaylee in those videos at a food truck ordering food. Is the police department, our investigators aware of that video and, and has it helped put together that timeline? We are aware of that video and it has helped. It gives us um, a time and space where uh, we know that um, two of our victims were and that helps us a ton and we'll continue to follow up all leads that we can and um, continue to gather those. Any indication of a party at the home that night? Um, and I'm, I'll, this will be the last one, okay, I understand. Folks, I'm going to get away from, uh, that's as much as I'm going to play of the press conference. Apparently, I, I may have missed it, and I apologize that there were two other roommates. Phil, I think you're correct. I Home just read it. Time. It was just reported right before. Yeah, uh, Cella Pranzo put that in there. And I, I don't want to play the entire press conference because then they won't need us, you know. <laughs> they won't need us doing this presentation. You know, it's not unusual for college students to live in an off-campus house, and they have this false sense of safety that they don't even lock their doors, you know, and that's probably the, uh, the case here. They probably didn't even lock their doors. They're at college, you know, and they feel safe and they're with other kids their age. And what could possibly happen? You know, one of the things that homicide investigators, any investigators do is you search the area of entrance and exit and specifically they have never found the weapon. There should be an extensive search 
of that house, of the area, the whole area for a weapon. And that is, you know, investigation 101. A case like this, you know, people always ask me, oh, do you miss the job? A case like this, I feel like getting my overcoat, my shoes, my shield and my gun and my bulletproof vest and calling up the A-team from Manhattan North Homicide Squad and, and going to Idaho and helping with a case like this. This is a case that must, must be solved. There's no other way. It has to be solved and it has to be solved quickly. Billy, you're making a great point about the fact that these kids don't lock doors. There's so many kids in and out, parties, friends, uh, you know, the kids from a, a next door house or a house down the block. I need to borrow a hair blower or to come and buy to have drinks or whatever it is that's going on. That's just college life today. So, again, I don't know if that's such a great uh, big, you know, uh, a piece of evidence that the door may have been unlocked and stuff like that. Um, one of the other points you made, Bill, and I agree with you hundred percent, every garbage can within a few block radius should be checked. Every sewer should be checked. Uh, finding that murder weapon might be uh, very, very important to uh, nailing down a perpetrator. Very good chance, as you know, Bill, and you talked about it before we went on the air, that the perpetrator may have been injured during this stabbing. I mean, you stab four people, uh, it may not be one perpetrator, maybe more than one, too. That's another thing. Uh, so, again, all of that stuff. But I think that uh, the real uh, drilling down needs to be done on the victimologies we always talk about. Those victim cell phones might indicate uh, what was going on prior to this horrible situation. And now they have video of two of the victims at a food truck. I'm sure there's other video cameras along the way that they might be able to trace their steps to see perhaps if they were being followed or uh, anything like that. Extensive canvassing in that area where that food truck was. Any of the uh, areas that they can nail down that these kids were at just before they got home or got to the location. Extensive canvassing for eyewitnesses to see, again, if there's somebody uh, stalking uh, these individuals. All very, very important. Phil, on the screen is the video of what you're referring to, the food truck. And that provides the police and investigators with a timeline. A timeline is very, very important in investigation specifically in homicide investigation. Let me play. This is, this is only a 46-second video. I don't know why there's music to it, but... Now, the guy who they have the circle around... He's someone that the police are looking to speak to. Uh, you know, I don't know if this point, you know, that that thing they always refer to, the person of interest. I don't know if he has reached that level of suspicion, but he's certainly someone that they're looking for. You know, folks, some of the most important things in these investigations are cell phone video, ring camera video, videos from stores that can provide the police with the timeline and things that they never knew about before. These ring camera videos, they're all over the place. You know, the Boston Marathon was solved through a cell phone video. And a case like this, that's why it's so important to reach out to the public and see if anyone has video of, of the victims earlier on in the night.
So, folks, that's uh, that was the video of the food truck, and not a great. You know, could it could it be smoking gun video? Absolutely. Could it be nothing? Yeah, it could be nothing too. But it, it's very important. You know, you have to investigation is a series of including and eliminating things. All right. So if if that just eliminates that guy or includes him. It's it's an important piece of, of evidentiary material. Uh, go ahead, Phil. It, it sounds like that guy with the gray hoodie might be a, a person of interest, as we called, and and we don't like to use that term, but that sounds like what it could be. Um, perhaps he was lurking behind a little bit. It seemed like uh, the, the victim was up at the front of the food truck. And again, you brought up the video cameras. There's video cameras everywhere. And cell phone technology is going to be very, very important because the victim's cell phones are going to put them at specific locations. They seem to have the timeline where they believe the murders took place between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. Uh, they're not exactly clear how they came to that conclusion, but it does seem pretty uh, firm that they believe that that's the time frame. And again, uh, all of the stuff... Uh, with regard to cell phones and video cameras, that's going to give them a picture of what transpired, where these victims were. They, they've already uh, narrowed down that uh, two of the victims were at an on-campus party and two of the victims had uh, visited a bar. So they seem like in, in the few days that took place since uh, that transpired since this incident took place, uh, they seems like they, they, they did a lot of work and they have a lot of uh, facts down at this point. You know, folks, in talking about the investigative uh, techniques that the police use, one of the first things, of course, is response to the scene. And that is so, so important. Responding to the scene, noting what time you get to the scene, what your observations are. Entering this house, they were greeted with this horrific scene. If it was patrol that first responded to the scene there, their duty is to preserve that crime scene. And seeing that, they should take notes and back out to preserve that crime scene for the detectives and uh, forensic uh, investigators who are going to process that scene. The most important thing, of course, is to search the crime scene first to make sure there's no other victims, there's no other people that are alive in that location. It, the preservation of life is number one in homicide right. investigation. That's the most important thing. Once they determine that there are people alive on the scene and there's four deceased they should uh, patrol should back out or just preserve the scene without contaminating the scene. We've spoken about low cards theory of exchange. That's where someone could bring in something from the outside to a crime scene and stepping into the crime scene, take something from the crime scene. Neither of those things are good, right? So that's why you want to not affect the crime scene by walking and traipsing all over it. Uh, the other thing, interview 911 calls. Someone discovered those bodies at 12 noon the next day. That person is hugely important. That's the person that discovered the crime scene. She called the police. What did she see? After that, a canvas of the area. I can't tell you how unbelievably, unbelievably important that is. And the canvas includes a search of the entrance and the exit also. Because somewhere these this perpetrator or perpetrators dumped that knife, or as they describe it, that edged weapon. All right, it was a knife. I'd like to say another thing: a, a knife is an indication in homicide investigation of a very personal type of murder, and maybe that's what they were talking about—that this was targeted and personal. 
Because the knife, people, person that kills with a knife, it is a personal thing. And some of you folks are saying, oh, this has this must be a domestic violence thing. Look, we don't know what it is yet, but you know, they've thrown around some things and confused this investigation, you know, calling it like a love triangle with absolutely no evidence of, of such. Very well could be a crime of passion. Uh, Billy, uh, you know, you're pointing out all the very good things uh, that were coming to my mind as far as canvassing. Uh, you know, the, the perpetrator had to enter, perpetrator or perpetrators had to enter and exit from that location. Good chance they took the weapon with them because it wasn't recovered. It, perhaps they uh, got rid of it along the way. Uh, you know, if you do get stopped on the street after you just slaughtered four people and you have blood on your body, you're not going to want to keep the weapon. You know, that would be a logical thing. So all of those things, very, very important. But uh, if there is a, some type of an ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, something like that, some type of a love triangle, I would think that the police would have that information. You know, the friends, relatives, uh, the sister of one of the victims, I believe it was... Um, uh, Kaylee's sister had given some uh, interviews in the news. So I'm sure that she knew what was going on in her sister's life with regard to boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever it is. So all of those things, very, very important. And again, uh, the canvas, I, I brought it up earlier. You brought it up, Bill. That's so, so important because that person went to that location and left that location, personal persons. And there's very good chance that somewhere along the line, it's three or four o'clock in the morning, you know, college town near a college kids are out and about. Somebody may have walked right past the perpetrator or seen someone stumbling around or seen someone with blood on their clothing. That could be very, very important. And or, I or, Phil, or a car that drove into the area that was caught on a camera, somehow caught on Absolutely. a camera. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Scotty Wagner, who I worked with in the two, three, uh, the Rose of Spanish Harlem, another outstanding homicide investigator. He writes that, um, let me, I just lost his, what, his statement. He writes that this perp will be known to the victims. Also very bloody scene. There'll be an exchange of evidence. I said early on, and Phil just repeated it, the perp's blood is going to be in the crime scene. Guaranteed. Good chance If you stab that. someone with a, he, you cut yourself. And one of my other ideas is that they should canvas every hospital in the area for someone that came in Sunday or Monday with a cut to their hand. Because it was explained to me by a, uh, a, a forensic um, death investigator, when someone stabs someone in, with a knife, blood gets on their hand. When blood gets on their hand, their hand gets slippery and the knife slips and they cut themselves. That's how it happens. I know that's graphic. But that will put the perpetrator's blood inside that crime scene. And the, the idea of canvassing hospitals, because he probably cut himself seriously. Look, the famous case with that, even though they chose to disregard it, was O.J. Simpson. He cut himself and his blood was in the crime scene, but they chose to ignore that too. So these things are, I mean, to me, that's smoking gun evidence. A perpetrator's blood in the crime scene? Crazy. Just to piggyback what you said, Bill, and not to be so graphic, again, when, when uh, it's it's really uh, been taught to us a million times in crime scene investigation. When a person is stabbing, uh, the knife goes in, it, perhaps it hits something hard like a bone, 
the knife, uh, the, the hand is full of blood, the knife slips and that person cuts themselves. Plus there could be defensive wounds from the victims scratching. Maybe they hit him with something, him or her, whoever the perpetrator is. So again, very important that all the, uh, perp all the victims hands would be bagged and there would be uh, fingernail scrapings taken from uh, the victims to see if they perhaps uh, scratched the perpetrator in this case. That would be DNAable. That would be 100% tie someone into the case. Again, uh, all of the things that we're, we're just spitballing here with are stuff that we would do that we would think of naturally when we responded to a crime like this. So uh, it doesn't seem like this is going to be such a great mystery. I have pretty good confidence that this case is going to be solved rather quickly. I'm, I'm hoping anyway. Uh, it seems that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of cautioning that there's not safety in the community just yet because they don't have the perpetrator in in uh, in custody. However, they did say that they think it was targeted. So I think that there's, there's probably going to be a perpetrator in this case rather quickly. I would hope if they do identify a perpetrator that they put that out there as soon as possible to prevent anyone else from being harmed. Schmitty, Witty, Schmitty, Sergeant Bill, do they cut themselves every time? Smitty, I would almost guarantee in a, in a crime scene where someone stabbed four victims that they cut themselves. It's almost... To me, it's almost guaranteed that they did. I want to show you guys, this is, I can't even imagine, you know, a lot of us are parents here. These are the parents of Ethan Chapin. And they're talking about this case and how they were notified. And it just, un unbelievably horrific. Yeah. A call talking about your son who is now gone is not as hard as the call Stacy and Jim Chapin received earlier this week. We're just trying to process it. It's not a call that you think that you're going to have to speak with the funeral home directors and the FBI and have it hit national news. They received the call their son, Ethan Chapin, had been killed. They got the... By the way, Ethan is a triplet. Those are his two siblings. That's his brother and his sister. And he's one. He's a triplet. Can you imagine that? Just it's horrific. I mean, you know, it's almost like you're attached, a triplet or a twin. And it's just their lives now are just shattered, shattered by this. A call from their other kids. Ethan was a triplet, all so close they even went to college together. We have these other two kids that are very impacted by this. Um, and they need to be lifted up and cared for. They say Ethan was the comedian of the family. It was a lover of country music and sports. What did Ethan like to do? Anything. <laughs> He played. You name it, he played it, literally. Yeah. I think we just watched a thing from the university, spike ball champion, volleyball champion. I mean, he just literally would play and do anything. They say this investigation and attention has been overwhelming, and they wanted to clarify what they say is misinformation floating around. The things that are being said are 100% not true. There's not drugs involved. There's not some weird love triangle. Ethan was just was stayed the night at his girlfriend's house, who was one of five girls who lived in the home. They say his girlfriend, Zana Kernobyl, was one of the other victims and that they were in the same room in the house. Ethan's parents say they just saw him last weekend at the University of Idaho's Parents Weekend and felt so proud and at ease. As we pulled out of Moscow, we literally were like, we've done it. We, we've literally done it as parents. We've created three incredible humans that will go on 
But now the future looks much different and Ethan's future gone. Their focus is now on supporting Ethan's two other siblings and keeping Ethan's light alive. If everybody was like Ethan Chapin in this world, yeah. it would be a better place. For sure. Oh boy. Unbelievable, right? Apparently, it's just uh, heartbreaking to watch it. And I'm just thinking in my mind as I'm watching that there was the incident upstate New York a few weeks back. Uh, I, I forgot what university it was. It was a family weekend. And one of the family members was at the hotel and some guys started shooting it out. And uh, the father of one of the students was killed. We had three uh, football players killed on a bus returning back to the college the other night. The it University like of Virginia. Yeah, I was going to yeah, mention University that. Uh, they they have an arrest in that. Uh, three football players. They look like great kids. Unbelievable. And a fellow football player killed all three of them. So it's like you can't explain stuff like that, you know, and. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. If you like real crime stories from a police perspective, then come on, join our family. Go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, and give us a thumbs up. And if you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have a YouTube channel memberships with, count them, five different levels. And you see the folks with the green font in the chat. They're part of our family, and they help support the police off the cuff, real crime stories. You know, guys, it's so, you know, when I see some of the people in the chat, like Scotty Wagner my and Phil Grimaldi on the show and people that have investigated homicides, this is why we did that job. Cases like this. This is what gets your blood going. This is what, you know, it, these are the cases that you were born to investigate and you want to bring someone to justice so that you can, Close, you know, there'll never be closure for these families. Losing 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds. It's just so horrific that it, it's almost unimaginable. And, you know, we can just hope that the skill of these investigators and the, sometimes luck will help them find the evil son of a bitch who did this, you know. Here's these kids on the screen, just filled with so much hope, so much love, and now their lives are over. And you can't, once someone's dead, you can't bring them back. You know, you can just arrest the people that uh, that are responsible for this, you know. Yeah, what a shame. Young, vibrant kids, college age, have everything in the world to live for, and some animal slaughtered them. I, I know that there's going to be a... There's going to be a perpetrator found in this case. It's just going to be a matter of time. Uh, you know, like you said, Billy, there's no closure for these families. These families are broken forever. They're never going to be the same. The only hope that they will have of comfort is if the perpetrator is found and justice is served. That's the only thing that uh, you can hope for in this case. Not bringing these four young kids back. Just uh, such a crazy thing. And thank God the other two students that were home, uh, weren't injured, uh, may not have known they might have been upstairs or in a part of the house that uh, wasn't accessible to uh, to where this uh, horrible situation took place. I'm really not sure exactly what the layout was, but uh, apparently they're reporting that there were two other kids. So thank God they weren't hurt. Uh, four people still killed. Just terrible. Uh, seashells prosperity. You know, a lot of people have asked this question. How is three people watching him cut one? Well, first of all, I think they were all in different rooms. Potentially, um, Ethan was staying in, the, in a room with his girlfriend. All right. And then 
the other two girls could have been in separate rooms. So we don't know exactly went down, but many people ask that. How could one person kill four people? First of all, we don't know if it was one person. Right. You know, uh, but that's a very good question. And I had asked that question myself and many other people have asked that question. Uh, Duty Ron, thank you so much for your support. And thank you for the $10 super chat. Uh, Duty Ron has really Duty helped Ron. me on this channel. And uh, Sergeant Bill and Detective Phil, great respectful coverage on this horrific case. Yeah, you know, it's, Duty Ron, you hit it on the head. It's a horrific, horrific case, you know, and and we're parents. And, and we we feel the pain of these parents. Look at these beautiful kids, 20 and 21 years old, had their whole lives ahead of them, you know. College is supposed to be uh, one of the best, the most enjoyable times of your life, you know, and uh, this horrific situation occurs and uh, you can't even explain it. It's there's no it's like, you know, something like almost like religion, religion sometimes and God and it helps you explain things that are unexplainable, you know, and uh, that's all you can say with this. It's not an explainable thing. It's just horrible. Yeah, it certainly is, Billy. And like I said early on in the show, I have three daughters in, in college. One of them is away at school and uh, just going to be uh, it's going to be good to hear her voice later today. I'll uh, definitely touch base with her. It's uh, I, I can't even imagine what these families are going through. And uh, it's very troubling and puzzling, this whole whole story. So uh, let's just uh, keep our fingers crossed that things go right in the next uh, hours or days. Yeah, George, good morning. So I spoke with the mayor in Moscow, Idaho last night. He described the crime scene as complex. He said Idaho State Patrol has now joined this investigation, adding that they're bringing in their mobile processing lab to help solve this case. This morning, a tight-knit community in northern Idaho reeling after four University of Idaho students were found dead in an apartment across the street from campus. I think it's shocking for everybody. Police are calling it a homicide. Authorities say the initial call for an unconscious person came in just before noon Sunday. But Mayor Art Betke telling ABC News the crime happened hours before. Given what the nature of the scene was, uh, they've indicated that it was three or four in the morning when things happened. Once officers arrived, they found a horrifying scene. Three women and one man, all members of the Greek community on campus, were dead. The foursome seen here in this photo posted by Kaylee Goncavs just hours before their deaths. There isn't a person on campus who isn't affected by this. I mean, these are like really adored and loved people on our campus. Freshman Ethan Chapin's brother telling ABC News in a statement, we are triplets and it's hard to imagine life without him. Upon learning of their deaths, an alert was sent to students to shelter in place. It was lifted less than an hour later. There's been no named suspect, but as this investigation continues, you believe that the students and residents of the city are safe right now. Right. Uh, especially because given the very focused nature of when, what went on there, no other apartments nearby were involved. And in the ensuing eight or nine hours between the actuality of the crime and to call into the police, nothing happened. I think the eventual conclusion is going to bear out the fact that this was a one-off crime that was committed. You know, I think mayors should shut up and not be the spokespeople for the police department. This guy is so clueless and should really just shut up. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, 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 the 
commanding officer of the police department, a spokesperson that knows about crime, knows about investigation. This guy's an idiot. And he should, again, I hate to say it, he should just shut up, you know. And was very focused and doesn't involve other students or the public in general at all. Now, the mayor went on to say that he thinks a suspect could be named in the coming days. He also said there in Moscow, the city and the university are incredibly intertwined. And you guys, he described this crime as horrific, rare, and isolated. All right. And, yeah, heartbreaking. You know, Phil, it's it's almost like he's he's saying it for political reasons. He wants to put the community at ease, not that he has any any information. He even indicated that perhaps they'll have an arrest in the next, but according to the press conference we just watched, they have no suspect, but he's putting it out there that, though, I think they'll have an arrest. And I mean, just it's, it's irresponsible. You know, I think the police have an obligation to either put everybody at ease and say, listen, we know who the perpetrator is. This was a targeted attack. We don't believe that anybody else is at uh, risk at this point in, in the community. Or they need to say, and listen, I don't think it's going to cause panic. The person is still out there. The person is still at large. Uh, person to persons may still be around. And everybody needs to lock their doors and windows and, you know, uh, take care and, and you know, report, uh, see something, say something, all of that. That's the obligation of the police department. So it sounds like they're giving mis- mixed signals, Bill. And, and I, I agree with you. The mayor- well, you know, it, Phil, it's the whole thing. Keep mayors off talking about crime. I, 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 you know, Eric Adams in the NYPD, he should shut up too, because, you know, let the police commissioner speak. She knows what she's talking about. Let the chief of detectives speak. Let a high-ranking police official, mayor, be quiet. You know, you talk about politics, talk about the, you know, talk about the subways, talk about housing, but, you know, uh, investigation should be spoken about by the experts. Folks, I want to get back into the investigation. Um, we always, well, we talked about an extensive video canvas. And as you know, and many of you may have it too, ring cameras and cameras above your garage, cameras here, cameras there. They're all over the place. And law enforcement must really know how to do video canvases. It's not just so simple. You have to go out there and specifically look for video. And what are you looking for? Well, guess what? How did the perpetrators get to this house? How do you think they got to that house? You think they walked? Maybe, maybe. You think they took a car? More more likely more likely that they took a car. Is the car caught on video? Potentially, right? Or did, if they did walk up, were they caught on video? So important. Um, we speak about this all the time. An extensive victimology on each victim. And you will find out things when you do that extensive victim. It stands for just what you learn as a student. Ology, the study of the study of the victim, every single thing you want to know about the victim. Well, one of those girls having problems with some guy in her bio class was some guy stalking her. Uh, and who knows the most about another person? Their friends, not their family, their friends, their closest intimates, their friends. Go interview every single one of their professors. Put it out there. We want to speak Send detectives to all the professors of these kids. They may know something. They may have seen something in their classes. That is an extensive victimology. 
And doing that, you're going to find out things that you never, ever knew before. And things that family members don't know, but friends, professors, classmates, they may have seen things. They go through everyday life with these kids. Um, timeline on all the victims. I can't stress that, how important that is. You want to find out where these victims were in the last 24 hours before this occurred. And that'll help you establish who they met, who they uh, were with, who they avoided, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, it's so important you heard the police there talking about a timeline. And that'll help them establish. You know, when this mayor was talking about what time he thinks this happened, he has no clue. We don't have a specific time. Forensically, can we tell when someone stopped living on this earth? There's body temperature, but that's not... Um, not exact, that's for sure. That's not that accurate. Lividity, uh, you know, there's the eyes. You can look into the eyes. Um, there's there's many, there's many ways to, to tell, but then none of them are exact. The best way to tell time of death is eyewitness, believe it or not, you know. Absolutely, Billy. And, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, whether or not it was another student or a friend, someone close. There could also have been a stalker in the area, you know, maybe someone that's not related to the college community, but just lives in a community. So, again, uh, police are probably checking any uh, reports of stalking, any perpetrators on a sex offender registry, uh, any felons in the area. Uh, I'd be Anybody on parole would be knocking on their door. Where were you at uh, between three or four o'clock in the morning? on this particular date, anyone that was arrested for a stabbing, you know, we, we know a cutting instrument was used, some type of a knife, all of those things need to be looked into. And that video, that's a little bit of a red flag for me. They're putting that video out there by the food truck with a circle around someone who's kind of laying in the back. Perhaps that could be the person of interest that needs to, uh, you know, be the, the piece of the puzzle that's missing. Uh, we don't know who that person is. I think they want to identify that person. That was probably uh, one of the big bones of contention that they want to get done. And, uh, you know, we don't know who that is. Is it a person that's related to the college community or is it a person outside that just happens to live in the community that has these, uh, you know, evil uh, tendencies and, and evil, uh, you know, wanted to hurt somebody? Uh, Stephanie Stinnett, thank you for the $5 super chat. I wonder if one victim was injured more differently so police will know the intended victim. It's a shame we can't just be okay with our children at college. Uh, absolutely. Scotty Wagner, remember, uh, thank you for the $4.99 super chat. Remember, we work for God. That's absolutely true. Um, Vernon Gebberth, the, uh, who wrote the book Practical Homicide Investigation, that is his saying in his book, and that used to be the Bible of homicide investigation across the nation, and that's how he opened up the foreword of his book, Remember, Homicide Investigators uh, Work for God. I want to get back to other things with the investigation. Every single homicide investigation, the cell phone becomes important, all right? So, so important. As you know, your cell phone is a walking, talking GPS machine, information machine, text messages, calls, cell site information, timeline information, all of that stuff can be garnered by, by your cell phone. Um, the crime scene process, I can't just say how damn important that is. I almost guarantee that the perpetrator's blood is in that scene. 
Very good now, possibility. Is he is his is he in the DNA database? We don't know, but I almost can guarantee that his blood will be in the crime scene. Did any of the victims fight back? Are there uh, defense wounds on them? Did they scratch him? The DNA of the perpetrator could be under the fingernails of the victim. So all of those things. How about footprints? You think the perpetrator stepped in blood? Almost guaranteed there's going to be the bottom of the perpetrator's uh, footprints in blood on the floor in that house, either on a, on a rug or on a wooden floor. Guar almost guaranteed, all right? There'll be so much blood. He, he's going to take victims' blood with him. There's almost a guarantee on that too, Bill. With all the blood that was at that crime scene, very, very, very good chance that he had blood on him. Now, is that clothing discarded? Where is that clothing? That's going to be another point of contention of evidence that's going to be very important. 100%. And before before I get back, Phil, let's just do a quick uh, break Joel Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joel Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of defense. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe is a great criminal defense attorney and a Definite uh, big fan of the show and a friend of police off the cuff real crime stories. You know, folks, the other, you know, we're talking about some of the um, investigative resources and investigative steps that they surely will take. Uh, and of course, we mentioned uh, the autopsy, so, so damn important. The tips line, you know, in New York City, it's 1 800 577 tips, right? Uh, that's so important. Someone knows something. You know, the mantra in New York City is if you see something, say something. That works everywhere in the world. They got to get that out there. If you see something or you saw something or if you heard something, some of these idiots do things like that. They brag about it, you know? So you see something, say something. Um, blood on the scene from a purple perp search the house prior, com prior complaints. Have any of these girl, girls fi filed prior complaints against someone bothering them, stalking them? That is information that police, again, investigation 101. But they, they have to look into all that. And that's part of the victimology. Part of the victimology is searching prior complaints that anyone in that house has made against someone. You know, um, Searching the house, of course, they have to do an extensive search of that house. I can't uh, underline more how they have to search for that weapon. All over that neighborhood, down sewers, garbage pails, underneath bushes. You know, a perpetrator is going to toss that somewhere. Could have been in a car and tossed it a mile away. Let everyone know that we're looking for a weapon that potentially has blood on it, fingerprints on it. If you see a weapon that looks like a serrated edge weapon, which they're saying this is, and you're a civilian, don't grab it. Call the police. Let them recover it for the forensic evidence. All this stuff is why the police must use the press. They must use the press to assist in this investigation. Guys, there's also a technique, and not everyone knows about it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, 
apprise you of it. There is an electronic technique where they can actually run an electronic device like a cell phone in a specific area at a specific time and pull up every single device being used at that time. Is that a potential way they could capture the perpetrator? You bet. I, I, I would imagine it costs a fortune to do that. But in major investigations, they have the ability to do that. And in this investigation, I think they should do that. You're talking about dumping a cell tower bill, I believe, correct? I think it's more than that. I think it's it's they actually have the ability to search every electronic device being used right. in a specific yeah. area at a specific time. They can dump a cell tower. Cell tower, any phones that are on pinging uh, during the period of time, obviously between 3 and 4 a.m., you can get any cell phones that were connected to that cell tower in that area or any electric devices, electronic devices like uh, wireless devices and, and stuff like that. So anything that's hitting a cell tower in the area uh, would be able to, uh, you'd be able to get that information uh, by dumping a cell tower. Again, like you said, it's very expensive. I think it's about $10,000 to dump a cell tower. Yeah, no, I mean, all stops are pulled out with this, all uh, whatever this costs, it costs, and they're going to spend. Look, they have the FBI on this case with them. The FBI pretty much has a blank check. They have the state police. Uh, the state police brings in all their resources. So it's not just the local Moscow police. Uh, they got the resources, the big guns of the FBI. They have the big guns of the state police. So they, they should, and you know, when, when we learned during this press conference, they have 25 investigators on this case. I think they need more than that. I really do. And especially in the beginning of an investigation like this, there's so much work to do. There's so much canvassing to do. There's so much video canvassing to do. There's so much uh, forensic work to do that they could use more than 25 detectives. And most of it is, you know, Gumshoe work, wearing out those shoes, getting out in the neighborhood, canvassing, talking to people. All of that is detective work. We used to call that legwork, Billy. But uh, there's one other thing that uh, uh, I know about a college town. Like I said, I have three daughters that are in college at the present time. Uh, Uber drivers are probably plentiful at that time of the night. Kids going and coming from different locations. And a lot of those Uber drivers have dash cams. Dash cams record uh basically anytime the car is turned on so again any of those uber drivers in that area they should be looking for going through their dash cams see if you see something suspicious in and around that area where this murder took place between 3 and 4 a.m if you're in that area go back on your dash cams look at the footage see if you saw someone lurking someone running someone going to the location someone coming from that location might be very very important for this investigation Jody Quivy, video from earlier in the evening at a food truck shows a weird guy with a hoodie yeah. and a ball cap under it standing and watching the group, but he's clearly watching them the entire time. We showed that, uh, Jody, and I'll actually show it again because they're calling Only him. a few seconds, so yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're sure. calling him someone that they would, uh, they would like to talk to. And uh, so let me just play this now. It's the guy that just put up the hoodie, right? 
Now he seems to be like uh, almost next to them when he walks into the frame, but then he lays back and he lets people go ahead of him. So again, that is quite suspicious to me. I definitely want to now as she's walking off, he seems to walk off towards uh, the same direction. I, I believe that this is video is taking place right before uh, three o'clock in the morning. Oh, you know, not, not that long before three o'clock in the morning. So that's someone definitely needs to be spoken to. See, as you see, he's kind of right behind uh, the young lady in the gray hoodie. Well, you and know, at first he also, he has his, uh, he has, he doesn't even have a hat on. I think he puts a baseball cap on. He he turns it around. It almost looks like he wants to, uh, you know, hide his appearance. Maybe he spotted this video camera and now he's going to take his hat and put it forward. And then throw the hood on. So that's, uh, I mean, it's probably cold out there, but that is a, a little bit suspicious to me. Look, all of these things, they have to be, you know, I, I say all the time, investigation is. Now uh, you see she walks off and what does he do? He, he moves off to the left as well. And then he's back there. Yeah, no, we, we talk about investigation being a series of including and excluding stuff. And yeah, I mean, that you have to, if he's not a suspect, you have to eliminate him. You know, 100%. you have to find this guy, find him. And if, if he's not a suspect, eliminate him. You know, I said early on, uh, yeah, uh, we, someone just said, Julie Lynn, 11, 11. That's what we were referring to, geo-tracking. You have the name for it. I forgot the name. We were talking about dumping a cell tower. You have the exact name for it that I was missing, geo-tracking. And that, that is, uh, that is a, a technique, I think, that the law enforcement doesn't always use because it's so, so expensive to do. But in a case like this, you know, all, uh, all parameters of money should be thrown out the window and they should spend whatever they need to solve this case. Yeah, that's called geo tracking. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you I for knew, that. Uh, yeah, I, I knew I knew that once, but I think as I get older, I get dumber and I forget stuff. You know, so but, many uh, things going on with uh, cell phones and cell phone technology and video cameras and all of that. But uh, geo tracking, and uh, we have the FBI involved in this case. They have the deep pockets. I'm sure that they could get a geo track done. Uh, the case I was referring to with the dumping of cell, cell phone towers, FBI was involved in that one as well. And I do know that they're very expensive, but uh, I'm sure that they'll do it. This is a very unusual case, a quadruple homicide, four young, beautiful, vibrant 21-year-old uh, kids, uh, 21 and uh, 20 and 21. So again, uh, I don't think that there's going to be any uh, stops. You know, uh, They're going to pull out all the stops and go the whole way with this thing. Um they probably have a good idea or maybe closing in on someone that uh, is involved in this thing. So let's see where it leads. You know, Phil, we hope that, but uh, we, the, the press conference didn't give any indication of that, you know, earlier yeah, on. It, 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 it left you uh, like longing for more information and like, you know, do they really know what, what's going on or do they have more information to just hold them back? I get it, Bill. Yeah. You know, I, the, the mayor was, uh, was, painting a rosy picture, but when they actually did uh, the press conference, they didn't say anything about, they were asking like it was, um, you know, it was starting from the very beginning. We don't have a suspect. We need your help. And, you know, it, it's important that, uh, that they do ask for the public's help because that is what will ultimately uh, solve this case. 
folks, we're gonna we're gonna stay on this case. You know, we also want, and we mentioned it earlier. Phil mentioned it earlier. We don't uh, have any lesser um, regard for the three University of Virginia students that lost their life. However, a perpetrator was arrested in that, and he was actually a teammate of theirs and shot them on a bus. Uh, killed three of them, wounded another person who's critical, and then wounded a, a, a fifth person, apparently a female, who's going to be okay. She's in good shape. I think she left the hospital today. So we, we don't want to minimize that case at all, but the fact that they made an arrest on it, we thought that we would focus on, on this case. Uh, uh, in September, there was a man threatening people with a knife on the University of Idaho. He was on a bicycle and shining at students. Read that in an article. Uh, Witty Schmitty, I had read that too. Uh, I would, I know that the um, the Moscow police are aware of that, and I would imagine if they if they don't have him identified, they 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 will uh, work on that and attempt to get him identified. There's a good chance that they do have him identified. Um, Stephanie Stinnett, FBI got geo tracking done on Rico charges of a gang where murder is one of the 30 charges. Put him right in the car, just about. Isn't that technology, Stephanie, unbelievable? And to know that our law enforcement and our government has the ability to do that is an awesome, awesome power. But the fact that they, you know, they can't or won't use it every time because it's uh, it's just so much money to use it. So only on the biggest, biggest cases like this one uh, will they use that technology. Folks, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, thumbs up, join our family, uh, support us on Patreon, and join our, our YouTube family, and uh, you'll get to have the green font in the chat also. Phil, final words. Final words, uh, thoughts, prayers. Uh, keep a, a, a warm place in your heart for these families that are going through a horrific, horrific situation. Uh, let's get justice. Let's get a perpetrator in custody or perpetrators. And uh, we talked about the other incident in uh, Virginia with those uh, football players that were shot and killed by a teammate. Horrible, horrible situation there. Also, uh, in California, there was uh, 20 sheriff's offices, rookies that were on a run. They were hit by a car. I'm not sure if it was intended or accidental, but uh, 20 uh, recruits were injured, some of them very seriously in the hospital. So thoughts and prayers for them as well. We're going to stay on this case. Anything develops, we'll get right on it. Again, guys, uh, if you have children, give them a hug tonight. Give them a kiss. If they're away at college, get on the phone like I'm going to do and uh, just stay in touch with them. And uh, let's all stay safe and uh, be safe out there. You know, Phil, as I said earlier, and I really meant it, uh, I mean, this is the kind of case I would love to come out of retirement for and grab my old team from Manhattan North Homicide and go go there and, and work on You know, I, of course, I, I'm just – fantasizing about that, but I would never do it because we're out of the job for 11 years. But this is the kind of case that as a homicide investigator and as a boss of a homicide team, you lived for and uh, you you hope that you would get to work a case like this. I honestly feel that I could come out of retirement right now and, and get, you know, start knocking on doors and doing a canvas on something like this as well, Billy. It's uh, really tugs at your heartstrings. And, uh, you know, like you said, this is the kind of case, all, all homicides, obviously, but this is the kind of case that, uh, you know, you went into a field of uh, homicide investigation for. Uh, let, let's get this guy in, uh, 
purple perpetrators in custody and uh, give this family some some comfort. Families, families. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. God bless, and I'll see you soon. Stay safe, everyone. One episode, just ain't enough.